This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. I am the best in the world at what I do. Gentlemen. You are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. But the cream will rise to the top all year. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now... Please welcome your hosts, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groniger. And as if it could feel better to join you here once again on the Elite Sports Podcast, we are launching into the month of March. Clint Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger here. And something about it, Noah, when you turn the calendar from February to March, it's sort of a symbolic end of those cold winter months. March is upon us. It's all of a sudden 60 degrees outside, and we're looking forward to March Madness, as everyone is. But it's only been a month. Since the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, we're here in Kansas City. I mean, in the last month, has, has it changed your life like it has mine? And do you feel like the Chiefs have had their proper time in the spotlight? Or do you feel like in this fast media world we live in that people have kind of moved on to the next thing? I mean, I think they've had their moment. Uh, I haven't heard a ton of coverage about, oh, this trade's happening. Here we go. This is going to happen. Like a little bit of draft coverage. We've had the scouting combine that uh, recently took place. But I think they had their moment, and I'm going to have my moment for the rest of my life, whether it's watching the game on my DVR, the celebration, uh, the end of the parade where Travis Kelsey's going nuts, uh, whether it's T-shirts arriving, a DVD that I still got coming. Uh, I purchased a replica trophy for about 450 bones, so I'm waiting on that to be made. It takes like six weeks, so that's going to come and just get more emotion coming out of me when that finally arrives. So uh, as more stuff arrives, the t-shirts, the DVD, the replica trophy, it's like it all just comes washing over me once again. Are you considering writing the Lombardi luge once you get the the Lombardi replica like Travis Kelsey did? Or are you thinking about taking a, a little beer swill down the luge, down the base of the, of the trophy? Or is this something that you're going to really treasure and maybe put in a case and no... No fools, you know, fooling around with that because yeah, I don't think there's going to be any wild behavior with it. It's, I think it's going to have a case, maybe some nice lighting, some LED lighting, and maybe a lock on the case, and no touching. Maybe some velvet ropes on the outside, so no one can even get close to it or screech powers fall into it and ruin everything. Uh, so uh, I'm going to keep it protected. It's going to be a shrine. Uh, may have some pictures above it. Maybe some candles. And uh, may may have a few seances there around it, uh, trying to conjure the spirits up again to win yet another Super Bowl and try to get this thing into a dynasty. Well, while Kansas City is still reeling from its first Super Bowl victory in 50 years, 
College basketball, uh, the regular season is winding down. We're getting ready to plunge headfirst into March Madness, and we're going to be doing that on this show with our guest, Matt Santangelo, former Gonzaga Bulldog. He was formerly of the Gonzaga Bulldogs Radio Network, and he is one of the proprietors of HoopFest, which is, takes place, uh, it's a tournament that takes place in Spokane uh, each summer. It is a tremendous event. We're going to get into that with him. Noah, I think we're going to put together a team this year. It's finally going to happen. We're going to go uh, D it up in Spokane. Um, so we're going to be talking to him about uh, Gonzaga, about the college basketball landscape as a whole. Of course, we're here in Kansas City. Kansas is currently ranked number one, I think only by default, because there are very few premier college basketball teams that you look at and you think, oh my goodness, that team's going to the final four. I mean, when you have a season where a team like Dayton is in the top five, San Diego State's in the top five, and Baylor was number one most of the year, it's a very strange season. We talked to Dan Schulman earlier this season about this. He said this was going to affect viewership. He kind of called it, um, you know, we didn't even know at the time that a team like North Carolina was not even going to be a tournament team. Uh, but he said no Zion Williamson, no premier, you know, surefire number one overall draft pick. The viewership is going to suffer, and uh, maybe it has the numbers. I don't know that they bear that out. But this seems like a year that anyone can win this thing, and we're going to talk about uh, Gonzaga specifically. They're number two. So my question to you is, my friend, why not Gonzaga? Oh, absolutely. But then I could say, why not anyone? Just Northern Iowa, they can make a run. This is uh, going back to the years of Florida Gulf Coast and George Mason. Like, if they were, if you could take those teams and put them into this upcoming tournament, they could win it all. I mean, they had those magical runs, but they ran up against Beast. There are no Beast right now. There's no preeminent program this season that's just dominating things. You're talking about, oh, well, maybe we could have some teams that we could pencil into a Final Four. Or... No, there's none of them. I don't trust Kansas. I don't trust Gonzaga, although I love them. I hope they do it. I don't trust Duke. I don't trust, I don't trust any of them. So this is completely wide open. It's going to be a disaster. This is the year that women will rule the NCAA tournament bracket, their March Madness bracket, the pools at work by picking teams by their favorite color, the cutest mascot, they will take it down. I don't expect anyone using any sort of logic or reasoning or stats to do well in the tournament picking at all. Yeah, you're right. This is the year that you're going to get the uh, the librarian in Indiana that uh, has a perfect bracket because nobody else could even think about it. And maybe that's good. I think for me... You know, I think that that's going to be an exciting piece of this puzzle is who's going to come away with this? Who's going to emerge? It's not necessarily there's a team out there that's just destined to do this, you know, like a Villanova uh, from a couple years ago. Um, a team like Virginia last year that was the number one overall seed. And we had wonderful stories with teams like Texas Tech and Auburn. But with this season, you, the conferences are all pretty top heavy with the exception of the Big Ten. But in the Big Ten, I don't trust anyone to get to a Final Four there. Maryland's, to me, the only team that really has a chance. And, and the, the rest of it, you got a log jam between your Indianas and Michigans and Michigan States and Illinois and Iowas. They're all the same team to me. In the SEC, it's Kentucky and Auburn. And I use that term loosely. If we're talking about duos, this is certainly not a duo that would stack up to, say, like the Legion of Doom in uh, the old wrestling days. That's not a duo that you want to go to war with. And the Big 12, it's Kansas and Baylor. And I'm not sure I'd want to go to, to battle with those two teams as, as uh, you know, my flag bearers. But here in, in Missouri, we cover the Missouri Tigers very closely, a team that's not going to be in the tournament, of course. But we were there to cover the last game against Mississippi State. And I want to talk about that basically because I want to make a point here. And there's a certain dichotomy that exists here because Missouri fans have now watched two straight, extremely subpar seasons uh, of Missouri basketball under Conzo Martin. 
this is following uh, year one, which he led Missouri to the NCAA tournament with Michael Porter Jr., the number one recruit in the country, being out for an entire season. Uh, he made one layup uh, in the first game and never was seen again. So there's been some bad luck at stake here. But the dichotomy here to me is this. After the game, hearing from both coaches, Ben Howland is someone that all but openly campaigned for the Missouri job back in 2014, right? Former UCLA coach, went to two straight Final Fours. Had some uh, hot water with the NCAA. Maybe some schools were hesitant to bring him in. Well, Mississippi State brings him to Starkville. And let me tell you something. They're 19-10. and 10, They're 10-6 and 6 in the SEC. And they're going to be in the NCAA tournament, barring a disaster. And let me tell you something else. Ben Howland comes in after the game, and he's engaged with the media. He already knows stats. He's looking at a stat sheet. He's talking about how you know tough of an out Missouri is and how they're going to be in the NCAA tournament next year. And he's just this really... There's something about his character and something about his personality that's really engaging. After that, Noah, in walks Conzo Martin. And you asked me two years ago, is this the guy that, to lead Missouri back to national prominence? And I said, absolutely. Look at the recruiting. Look at the recruiting class he just brought in. Jonte Porter, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremiah Tillman. He brings in Mark Smith. It hasn't come to fruition. You were, it looks like, <laughs> the one that was in the right about what Conzo Martin is. And it's not only that, but it's his persona. It's the way he kind of engages people. And we're going to play some clips that we got from that game here in just a second because I want to accentuate this point about how Ben Howland sounded after the game. Of course, he just got a big road win. And Conzo Martin, who just lost another game to another kind of middle-of-the-road SEC opponent, which has been the case for this guy the last two years. The fan apathy has set in, Noah. You asked the question two years ago. And guess what? It looks like maybe you were right. Yeah, I just had the overall question of, are you is Missouri bringing Conzo Martin in for Michael Porter Jr., John Tay Porter? Are, is that really, I mean, yeah, they say he can recruit St. Louis, and that's big, especially at Mizzou, and you got to be able to do that. But in an overall sense of a coach and, and his philosophies and outside of the Porter brothers, is he really going to be able to recruit and build a strong program and just a family and the, the right culture, family atmosphere with that team and be able to sustain them past Michael Porter Jr. and Jonte Porter? And we haven't seen that. That hasn't been the case so far. It's not carrying over on the court. And like you said, he's just kind of there. He Maybe it's just all the losing, and so he's not as engaging, and he's just going through the motions of the of the press conference and dealing with the media. But it's just not a good look right now for the past couple seasons. And, it, it, of course, bad luck befell him when he first got here with uh, the injuries to Michael and Jonte. And now we're seeing he doesn't have those players, and there's losing, and it's, it's just a bad taste in your mouth, and you're wondering what's next for Missouri basketball. Uh, you're right in a sense that you certainly don't judge a coach's acumen based on how they deal with the media. That's absolutely 100% true. And we know what kind of a person Conzo Martin is, and no one's going to question that. But, uh, you know, for Missouri, who shot 20% from beyond the three-point arc uh, this past Saturday, and, and it, with a decent home crowd there, over, uh, I think, 11,000 at Mizzou Arena, just trying to get anything life-injected into that arena, into this program, the one that I grew up with, the one that I grew up with going to Elite Eights and challenging for Big Eight championships and Big 12 championships, it has just been one thing after another. It's certainly not just Conzo Martin. This goes back to Frank Haith and Kim Anderson. We're just in a real rut right now. But to kind of accentuate this point, I want to take you first to a clip from um, Mississippi State head coach Ben Howland after the game and just kind of how he uh, was dealing with the media and kind of the things that he had to say following Mississippi State's win over Missouri. I'm just incredibly proud of our team, the way we performed today. 
in a very difficult environment. Uh, Missouri's playing so well. I mean, I watched a ton of film on them, and uh, those two guards are special. I mean, just so you guys know, and I told my staff this before the game, they'll be in the NCAA tournament next year. They got everybody back but 14, Reed, and uh, you know, they're really, really tough, talented. I mean, I think Drew Smith's so good, and, and the way that uh, Pinson's been playing, I mean, just incredible. You look at their numbers over the last six games, and, uh, you know, he, he's a, you know, they're great defensively. So I thought our defense today was the key. I mean, to, to you know, they had some uh, good, good looks at times from three they didn't make, which, you know, thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, seriously, uh, you know, six for 29, 20%, you know, so they took ha almost half their shots from three. Uh, and, and again, some of them were good looks that didn't go in. But I thought our team defense was incredible. I thought we did a great job taking care of the ball against a team that really gets after you defensively. I think they're, they're growing. They're, old, they're so young. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you know, Pinson is a sophomore. I mean, like, he's incredible. He's so hard to guard. Uh, they're slipping a lot of screens, and as they're slipping, right before they set the screen, the bigs are slipping, and it's just inherent that when you're guarding the ball and you hear screen right and screen left, you immediately jump a little bit to force them into that screen. There's nobody there. So then they're getting downhill, and they're coming downhill at you. Okay, so you see how he was feeling, of course, very good, winning a road game. That all but cements them uh, going into the NCAA tournament, probably looking around in, you know, somewhere between an, an a seven and 10 seed, depending on how they do in Nashville. But now we have Conzo Martin. Um, let's take a look at Conzo Martin and how he dealt with the media, kind of what he said after the game, basically saying that uh, the shot choices pretty much doomed the team down the stretch. Well, we always say take good shots. I mean, if you have the shots, I thought of a lot of open shots. Again, I got to go back and watch film on all 29, to be exact. When you have opportunities to drive the ball, you got to drive it. Drive it, get in the lane, then the next three-point shot. Uh, I, I thought, uh, not necessarily threes, but I thought, you know, shot selection got us down the stretch in some areas. Uh, I thought we defended better in the second half. Uh, I didn't think we set an aggressive tone in the first half, and we allowed them comfort, especially Perry. Uh, in the second half, we settled in with much better. And uh, down the stretch, I think we tied it back up 53 all. They made a play. We just, I thought our shot selection uh, got us in the end. Well, there you have it. You know, I don't know if that proves my point enough or not, because I know that you're not going to look at how coaches react in a post-game press conference where one has just won a big game and one has lost. But I think that that's sort of, in a nutshell, what Missouri fans have had to deal with. Uh, and let's just face it. You've had programs like South Carolina and Auburn getting the Final Fours in the last four years. Missouri is a better program than those two programs. Texas Tech has gotten to a Final Four. Missouri's better than that program. And yet, here they are still middling while other teams are finding coaches and finding success, and it just isn't happening for Missouri, and it's so frustrating. Mississippi State's going to be in the tournament again. Mississippi State is a very solid team. They are balanced, they have size, they have scoring, and they defend. Ben Howland is sort of the total package. Now, is it hard to get elite players to down to Starkville, Mississippi? Maybe so, but he's building something, and I like what he's done. We've seen Rick Barnes do it at Tennessee. We've seen Bruce Pearl do it at Auburn. Frank Martin do it at South Carolina. The list goes on. But where's Missouri? When's it Missouri's turn to field a competitive team, right? I mean, am I wrong in, in assuming that that should take place? 
It absolutely should. And I just go back to thinking that maybe just Conzo Martins wasn't the right man for the job. Uh, they saw the St. Louis recruiting. They saw the Porter brothers and that just kind of they signed off and uh, maybe they didn't do their full homework or maybe they did. But uh, and they were like, well, we're not really liking what we see here. But the St. Louis recruiting that he's promising and the Porter brothers that he's promising is just an overwhelming factor. We've got to take a chance. I mean, we saw Carmelo Anthony do it years ago with Syracuse, one great player that's going to go on to the NBA, lifting a team up and taking them and winning an NCAA championship. And I really, I guess I can't fault Missouri for doing that, even if they didn't feel Conzo was the long-term great coach uh, that's going to sustain this and be able to raise the program up by just himself and his coaching, his X's and O's and, and the culture he's going to build. But Hey, if we can get Michael Porter jr here and he can get us one championship, like Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony did with Syracuse back in the day, then it'll be worth it. And unfortunately that's not the case. That's not what happened. He got injured and, and now they're stuck with Conzo for a while here until we can see if they're looking at going in a new direction and what coaches are out there and who can they pull in. Enough about programs that uh, don't have anything to play for here in March, because, of course, in March, that's what it's all about. And we want to recognize those that do. When you look at the top five right now in the AP top 25, man, there's some things that really stand out to me. And it kind of goes to my point earlier. We're going to ask Matt Santangelo about this coming up. Kansas, Gonzaga, Dayton, Baylor and San Diego State. That is your top five. Of course, Kentucky just outside there. Seton Hall's in the top 10. You look around here, you've got Creighton in the top 10. Um, you've got uh, BYU ranked at 15. Man, what does that say? Houston's ranked. Good or bad for college basketball as a whole? What What's going on here? As a whole, what what's going on here? I mean, I think it's good for college basketball. Yeah, you'd like to see some bigger names. Uh, I was kind of intrigued about Memphis and James Weissman uh, being there, uh, but the NCAA violations, and then he had to sit out, and then he just decided, I'm not coming back. Forget it. I'll just go to the NBA. I'll wait my time. Um, but I don't really like the – and a lot of people don't, unless you are a fan of the Kansas Duke, Kentuckys, uh, if seeing them – and just they're great players, and oh, they're number one, two, and three, and they're just rolling in the ball out, and they're going to probably be in a Final Four, just write them in. I like that not knowing who's going to be in there. Heading into the season, Gonzaga lost so much talent, I had really low expectations without looking over the NCAA landscape and realizing no one has good players. Like, this is just going to be a free-for-all, and that's what it's turned out to be, and I think it's going to be one of the most exciting March Madnesses that we've seen in a long time to where anyone could you mentioned BYU there at 15 they could win it Houston could win it Creighton could win it any of these teams could win it it's it's going to be insane uh it's it's probably going to devastate me because Gonzaga might get sniped by just uh some just northern Utah I don't even think that's a school but I'm just throwing them out there uh, for <laughs> they're, they're right they're knocking, like going on these first four out okay oh bummer but uh, <laughs> just knocking down 33s just it's going to be crazy, and I just cannot wait for it. Like I said, Gonzaga may get sniped out, but uh, I'm excited to see just the craziness. And this is what March Madness was named for. I think this is going to be the year that it's going to live up to its name, March Madness. It really is. And to get into that more, we are going to talk about a team that has very high hopes coming into March this year, the Gonzaga Bulldogs once again. Um, we're going to be talking with uh, Matt Santangelo, former Gonzaga Bulldog. We welcome him to the show right now. Uh, Matt, welcome. It's great to hear from you again. It seems like this is always the time of year we're catching up, Matt. It's uh, March, so time to talk some Gonzaga Bulldogs. Man, how's everything going with you? 
I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Well, we're we're great. It's great to hear from you. This is the time of year we usually wind up catching up with you right here in March. It's a great time of year. I don't know about uh, out there in Washington, but the weather's turning turning off to pretty nice here in Missouri, and we're ready for some uh, March Madness hoops. But before we get into some Gonzaga basketball, Matt, things are starting to heat up um, on the front of Hoop Fest, which you've been so heavily involved in for years. I believe signups are about to begin. It's that time of year again, isn't it, my friend? You got it right. It's Hoop Fest season, the best basketball weekend on earth, we call it, even in the midst of March Madness. I can say that with a lot of confidence and conviction for the last weekend in June. And uh, our team registration opens up March 9th, uh, next uh, Monday. So we are uh, full swing in preparation, uh, excitement and enthusiasm for the 31st year of, uh, of Hoop Fest. That's very exciting. I know that, that how long has this been going on for now? I know that this is this started several years back and it just seems to me just, uh, you know, from afar that this, this has just done nothing but continue to grow over the years. And like you said, some of the most exciting uh, action you'll ever see. I happened to be in Spokane one year as it was going on uh, back in, I think, 09 or 010. And I had no idea. I'm like, what is going on? The whole downtown courts everywhere. And I mean, it was insane. And I, I think it was one of the coolest sites I've ever seen. This, this has just continued to get bigger, hasn't it? Well, it is. So well, Hoop Festival uh, celebrated 31st year this year. Year one was wow. 1990. Um, and so it's been around for a long time. It is a great community-wide event. Um, I think for those that, that haven't seen it um, or had the benefit of seeing it, sometimes it's hard to grasp and understand, you know, the scope and size of it. But it's I mean, it's 6,000-plus teams of four athletes, so 24,000 athletes, basically over three square miles um, in our downtown area here in Spokane, Washington. Um, and it's athletes from everywhere, literally all over the country, all over the world, um, and all levels of basketball. I think that's really an important one to kind of highlight in the fact that it's not, this isn't just elite basketball. It's not just this is weekend warriors to, to rookies to veterans to – people that play it every day to people that haven't played it since last hoop fest. So I think it's, it's really about just the spirit of basketball, the spirit of community um, that really allows hoop fest to thrive. And that's really been the example over the last 30 years. And again, we're really looking forward to the, the 31st anniversary, but the, uh, of hoop fest this late this June. Well, Matt, tell our listeners a little bit more on uh, how they can learn about it, how they can get an application in and, and just what they can expect uh, from that event. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, our website's number one. That's uh, www.spokanehoopfest.net. Uh, Spokane is the city here in eastern Washington State, for all you Midwesterners listening. <laughs> um, uh, so, but it's, uh, uh, and then Hoop Fest is exactly how it sounds, phonetically spelled. Uh, nothing but net. So that's our website. And then you can find us, of course, on social media, which we all know rules the world, um, at Spokane Hoop Fest um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, you'll see a ton of stuff uh, and press around and releases and, and interesting facts and FAQs and all the information you can imagine through that website and through those social media platforms. Mm -hmm. As literally, we come online on Monday um, where the light, we consider the lights coming on for our, our you know, preparation and preseason to Hoop Fest itself. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's hard to describe because, it, as I mentioned, it's not just about the elite athlete or even the basketball enthusiast. I mean, this is a, a, a organization where a not-for-profit organization, a 501c3, it takes about 3,000 volunteers to execute the tournament, the weekend, the event. Um, so when I say it's a community-wide event, like I mean it's a community-wide event, uh, which makes, really, it makes it really unique for Spokane, for a huge 
source of pride and piece of our collective identity, our cultural identity, to be able to bring this wonderful event together. It's our most vibrant, our most diverse, um, our most inclusive weekend of the year because we welcome literally everyone. If you want to play, we will find a spot for you. So it's, and, you know, for some people it's about winning. For some people it's about participating. Uh, for some people it's just being around the action. Um, and certainly we take all of them uh, as we build this wonderful event each and every year. Well, that really is amazing. And it just kind of transitioning here into our Gonzaga Bulldogs, our beloved Bulldogs here, uh, just with all the losses that they had over the last season, I mean, Hachimura's gone, Clark, Perkins, Crandall, Norvell. Going into this year, I mean, personally for me, I didn't have many expectations, but I guess I kind of failed to look at the NCAA landscape as a whole and how just nobody really had a premier team or even player going into it. I mean, Memphis had James Wiseman till the NCAA violations, but I guess my question for you is, has this season been somewhat of a pleasant surprise to you with Gonzaga sitting right now at number two, especially with the aforementioned loss of talent from last season? It was, I mean, absolutely. I think, I mean, the uh, a surprise is, is a good word to use with this group. Not that we didn't think, you know, here locally, even not that we didn't have high expectations or high hopes for this group, um, but there were just so many unknowns, you know, primarily at the guard spot. You know, you mm -hmm. got two fifth-year seniors that have come in, you didn't really kind of, uh, couldn't necessarily, uh, you hoped for, but couldn't see Corey Kispert's progression. Um, you know, if you would have said Tilly would have missed the games that he's missed with injury, uh, that probably would have even put a, um, you know, lowered that expectation even more had we had this conversation in the preseason. Um, but with all that being said, and the landscape of college basketball, it is another super exciting year for Gonzaga basketball. And literally the, you know, the national championship is the ceiling. It is the you know, the, the limit is it's a, they're a part of that conversation. Um, but so are a lot of teams in college basketball, which is going to make March as mad as any other March uh, we've seen in, in recent history. <laughs> well, you mentioned it there a little bit. How have you seen this team come together throughout the course of the season? I mean, with all the new parts that we talked about and just what have you seen from the new guys and in the development of the guys who are already here? Well, I think we'll start with the new guys. I think, you know, the two guards, Woolridge and, um, and Gilder, uh, were obviously unknown quantities. You know, we know they, that they had quality careers in their previous schools, um, but their ability to come in and assimilate into the, the Gonzaga culture, the Gonzaga way, uh, you just didn't know. I mean, how, how could you know? Yeah. Um, the, I think what Woolridge has done at the point guard spot has been absolutely remarkable. Um, the way he defends, the way he pushes the ball, his unselfish play. Um, you know, Gilder is explosive in, in, in spots. He's become a lot more consistent as the year has worn on. Uh, there is a somewhere in the mix. There is a secret sauce. There's a secret formula for why they've been able to sustain this greatness and this excellence for so many years now, going on you know two decades of, of excellence. Um, and so you didn't know, like you know, with Tilly and Kispert, you didn't have the other kind of like you know core group of upperclassmen that could really teach that locker room way, the culture of the program. Uh, and those two guys just absolutely came in and, and owned it and, and put their fingerprints all over it and, and are in the midst of a, a, just a fantastic year. But then you look at the development of the, the returners. Petrusev is the easiest one, the, the big fellow yeah. in the middle. Um, I don't think anyone kind of saw his dominance at, at this level um, going in. We, you know, we all knew he was skilled. We all knew he was going to grow and contribute. But certainly uh, being one of the best big men in the country was not necessarily on the radar. He's lived up to it. Um, and that really opened up a ton of opportunity for this particular team. Um, we talk about Tilly. You know, Tilly's one of the, the best forwards and stretch forwards in the college game. 
Uh, but because of his struggles with health and injury, um, has really limited, you know, what his development and limited his, you know, just frankly limited his time on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then Corey Kispert was, again, another one who on paper you kind of say, okay, that kind of makes sense, but he's played even beyond what we could expect of him. And so, um, you know, and Joel, I mean, how can you fit IIE? Like he's, he's been maybe the biggest X factor surprise in all this because he's one of the most consistent players throughout the year and the one guy that's willing to step up and really take big shots and big moments in games. Um, and so it's got to be nice, and then it's got to be fun for those guys in the locker room because they didn't have the definitive star. You know, Tilly probably would have been that had he been healthy all year long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because of his injuries, it allowed these other guys to step up and fill the gap and flourish, and now they're a much stronger team because of it. Matt, let's talk about scoring a little bit because um, whereas you look around the college basketball landscape and many top programs – are failing to score the basketball. Uh, Noah mentioned earlier, uh, you know, not maybe for the lack of star power. Uh, teams like Duke and Kansas defend really well. Not a lot of scoring, but let's look at Gonzaga, averaging 87 points a game. That's tops in the WCC, uh, one of the best teams in the nation at scoring the basketball with uh, six players averaging in double figures. When you look at some potential matchups as this goes into the end of March Madness here, how important is Gonzaga's ability simply to put the ball in the basket going to play in their hands when there's teams out there, you know, like I said, Kansas and Duke, and you've got teams like San Diego State that, um, that, that may struggle to do so, and that could be a real advantage for Gonzaga just being able to put the ball in the hole, uh, you know, whenever everything else part of the game is, is struggling. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here just because I can. Because you invited <laughs> me on the show, I can kind of do whatever I want. So, um <laughs> Only only because the one knock on that, I mean, the balance is phenomenal. Every team would trade for that type of balance. Um, I do think it's going to be advantageous come March Madness because you just never know. You never know. You never know who's going to be hot or cold. You never know, um, you know, who's going to be able to step up. And having that diversity of options uh, is definitely an advantage for, for Gonzaga and, and this particular team. However, in March Madness, typically one player can really set themselves apart. You know, you get that one player that just goes off and is consistent over just a few weekends, and all of a sudden your team becomes a national contender because you have that dominant individual or maybe one-two punch. Where this Gonzaga team, because they're so um, diverse and they have different guys that can step up each and every night, you know, when stuff really gets hard because stuff gets hard in March, it's hard to score. Um, things aren't coming easy. You're not as familiar with your opponents. I mean, all the things that make the tournament so awesome for us watching it, um, it's hard to play in. Uh, and I think that, you know, that on the, on the flip side, the other side of the coin for Gonzaga is how do they play through those moments and play through those situations where stuff gets kind of hard, scoring droughts, uh, and how do they play through? Now, I know there's other parts of the game, defense, rebounding, taking care of the basketball that have to be their foundational pieces to a good basketball team. Um, but who's going to be the, the guy that steps up and he's like, I'm going to go for 30 tonight because that's what yeah. our team needs to win. Um, and again, if, if they win, then the balance attack is better. If the individual player wins, then the individual player is better. So it all, all comes out in the wash. It all depends on who wins the game. Well, let's talk about the two losses that Gonzaga has had this year. Uh, they lost early on to Michigan. Michigan made six more threes, which ended up being the 18-point difference in the game. And uh, then the BYU game that we just saw, uh, Gonzaga missed 20 threes. They were 5 of 25 versus BYU. They only lost by 13 when you talk about missing 20 threes and you only lose by 13. It's kind of crazy to say, but that's the case with that stagger- staggering number of misses. 
What did you see in those two losses to Michigan and BYU? Well, I think Michigan, yeah, they shot the ball real well, but they beat us. They beat us up. And that was yeah. the one that was kind of maybe more so um, alarming because, as we all know, some nights you're going to make them, some nights you're not. Uh, but they just kind of, they were, they were, they made us look, which were, you know, Gonzaga at that time still had Anton Watson in the rotation, even though he was hurt, he got hurt in the Bahamas. Um, you know, there was a, we were a good sized roster, a good sized team, and Michigan just kind of dwarfed us. Um, and that one was a little bit like, oh, you know, kind of like maybe the Gonzagas of old, where you kind of get out of the conference and you just all of a sudden you're just kind of out, um, you know, out humaned, like bigger, stronger, faster. Yes. Uh, in some of the Power Five conferences. Uh, which ha- doesn't happen as much anymore, but certainly in the early runs of GU, you'd see that more prominently. And so Michigan was kind of, maybe it was just an, an anomaly. You're coming off, you know, Watson gets hurt, uh, you know, three games in three days, tournament style. You, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can kind of make excuses or rationalize that one. A lot of new but pieces and a lot of new guys getting yeah, playing time. So, yeah. Season, first time playing on, on the big time national scene. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they just kind of got bullied. Um, and kind of and didn't really stand up well to that, which I think in the long run makes them better because then they can respond and learn that. We know that about Gonzaga, that they continually get better. Um, and so sometimes you got to get hit on your chin in order to learn. You better block your face, you know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> and so I think that allowed Gonzaga to get better. And to fast forward to the BYU loss, I mean, I don't know. I, we can argue till we're blue in the face where the hardest places to play in college basketball are, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine one more difficult than Provo, Utah when BYU is hungry and, and, and good like they are this year. That's 20,000, uh, you know, crazed fans. They do an awesome job. I mean, just a phenomenal job of game day production. Like the show that happens around BYU basketball is phenomenal. Um, and as much as, you know, I'm, I'm paying to give them credit, you, but you've got to give credit where credit's due. And then, of course, Coach Pope's doing a really great job this year getting those guys planned. So, um, that's again, one of those battle tests that you just have to have, like, those are ones that, that we're going to be, you know, if they make a deep run in March, we'll be thankful for that. They took those lumps, uh, in Provo in February, cause it's going to make them a better team. Um, and then you can point to the stats, you know, didn't shoot the ball. Well, um, it, I got out physical against Michigan. Um, and those are the things that, but that's going to happen in March too. There's going to be nights where they don't shoot the ball well, or they, they match up against a team that's as big and fast and strong as they are. Um, and so you got to be able to play through it. So to be able to pull from those experiences, especially one as most recent as BYU, um, only helps them get better in March. Well, Matt, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about TJ Hawes and uh, his forearm shiver to Petrusev's back in that game uh, at BYU in Provo. Uh, did you think that was a flagrant one, flagrant two? The refs just let it go. They called a basketball play. I, I couldn't understand it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely think it was more than what was called. Um, it's such a, I, I really am, um, I always try to, except for my, my son's games, basketball games, I usually am pretty understanding about the officials. Um, I kind of go into Papa Bear mode when it's my kid out there, but um, uh, it, it, it's so hard. And like in that environment and like everything that's going on around that game, um, you know, to be able to, you know, have the, the courage to stand up um, and and make a call like that it's just tough but yeah i agree like it, it probably should have could have been something else but here's the thing about the replay monitor and the benefit of everything that we get to see watching games on tv mm-hmm. is everything at that level in slow motion is a foul <laughs> very true the game is too fast these guys are too strong they're moving too quickly um it's too physical of a game that if you slow it down in slow motion there's an infraction on every single play 
So to try to call it in real time, even though I know they went to the monitors and all that, um, it's really hard to kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, change the call that you've seen in real time. So I think there's a lot of factors. Uh, of course, I think, you know, you've got to crack down on that type of behavior. Unfortunately, BYU has a little bit of a reputation um, yes. with that type of behavior, uh, which should go in, in the favor of the opponent, too. Um, but in that case, referees are just human, just like the rest of us. And so you, sometimes mistakes are made. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, that's the adversity that you have to kind of see and feel so that you know how to live through it. Uh, Matt, let's talk about the uh, WCC a little bit. I know we're going to get into the, the tournament, which is coming up here. But uh, as far as the the big tournament uh, coming up here, Joe Lenardi right now has uh, three teams, of course, in uh, Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's, of course. But are we underrating Pacific a little bit here? 11 and 5 in the league, 23 and 9 overall. Um, talk about uh, uh, Pacific, the WCC as a whole. And do you think um, really this year, you know, you look at things. This is an underrated league, and I think it has been for a long time. It seems like we talk about that every time we have you on, but I really believe it is. You look at uh, San Diego's having a terrible season. They've been a tournament team in the past. Santa Clara has history. Pepperdine's usually up there fighting for a tournament spot. But this year, it's, it's Pacific is kind of that team rising up. And do you think that they should be getting more uh, more play for uh, a spot in the in March Madness coming up here? I mean, if you let's just look at the look at the what you just listen to what you just said. A four team league? Are you kidding me? I mean, just the fact that we can even whisper that, that there are four <laughs> legit teams that have a, a, an opportunity to be considered is, is really a testament to, um, to the conference. And I think you're right. I think it's totally legit. Um, the conference from top to bottom was tougher. It came in at a, at a, you know, a very strong you know, power index, and depending on which one you, you look at um, uh, in the preseason had success outside of the conference in the preseason um, and then came in and kind of beat up on each other in season, which is, which is good. There's supposed to be parity in, in conference play. Um, but yes, I, I do think it's a, it's a much stronger conference um, uh, than it has been. Well, not in even in recent years, but uh, it's had more success outside of the conference. And then you look at, you know, the, the West, other West coast conferences, the PAC 12, who knows what's happening in that thing. You know, the, certainly the Mountain West has had a strong year. Um, but, you know, what, other, what is the other West Coast premier conference besides the West Coast Conference? It's not so much, I mean, point to another one that's doing it better. And I don't know, I don't know if you necessarily can top to bottom. Um, so the fact that you mentioned, of course, I'm a Portland boy, so seeing Coach Stoudemire uh, get that consideration and, and do what he's doing at Pacific with that program um, really kind of warms my heart. Um, uh, but I think it's really uh, it, it, it's it's talking it it may not the fact that you talk about four this year maybe four don't get in but it opens up the door to the possibility of this conference continuing to grow and really become that that Big East equivalent the Big West if you will the West Coast Conference of a, of a really basketball conference powerhouse. Yeah, and just talk about that a little bit uh, as Gonzaga is moving here into the WCC tournament and then into March Madness. Talk about the biggest key moving forward for the Bulldogs. I mean, for me, one of them is starting faster. I mean, they've been a really good second half team, but they've been down at half. Uh, they were down half twice to San Francisco, came back and won both those games. But uh, starting faster is one for me. What's something else that you've seen that they need to work on moving forward here as they get into these tournaments? I think they they still have a step to make in team defense. I yeah. think their uh, perimeter defense, their ability for for uh, opposing teams to kind of get into the lane, 
really make it look like, you know, Gonzaga's on skates at sometimes on the defensive end of the floor. Um, of course, that opens up all types of things, but mostly that penetrate and kick to three. Um, I think that that's a step that they really need to, um, you know, recommit to uh, going into March because you're only going to be playing, you know, stereotypically more athletic, more, um, you know, skilled individuals um, that can really create havoc off the bounce. Um, and I think that that's one I, that I want to see them step up. I mean, they're, they're a good rebounding team. They take care of the ball well. So if you defend, you rebound, you take care of the ball well, um, you're going to be in every game. I mean, that's just the, the nature of basketball. If you can limit your mistakes, because the game is so riddled with mistakes, if you can limit those ones that you can control, typically you're going to be competitive in games. Gonzaga does a lot of that really, really well and has for a long, long time. Uh, but they've got to be able to guard the balance. And if individuals can't guard the balance, then it's got to be a, a recommitment to team defense, uh, knowing your rotations, uh, and really trying to take um, uh, that ability for a team to create havoc by getting in the lane away from them. Uh, Matt, I made a point earlier with a, a Dan Schulman, a ESPN analyst that we had on uh, early in the season, uh, and I brought up that, that with a college basketball season like this where things are so wide open that I thought it was going to create uh, more interest in the sport and that it would be good for college basketball, and it sort of played out that way. You've got, uh, of course, Kansas is number one. They're a blue blood, but, I mean, Gonzaga two, Dayton three. Baylor's been number one for a lot of the year. San Diego State's in the top five still, and, and he disagreed with me. He said that you know, you know there's no star, there's no Zion Williamson to drive ratings. To me, I kind of feel the opposite. I feel like, uh, given the fact that it seems like this is so wide open that any team really has a chance here is going to create some great Cinderella stories, some wonderful moments, especially in March. How do you feel kind of about the college basketball season as a whole and kind of your interest uh, in it, d- despite the fact that there's not, uh, uh, you know, a surefire, you know, first round number one overall pick like a Zion? Yeah, that doesn't, that part doesn't bother me. I like, I, for me personally, again, personally speaking, um, I like when there's personalities involved. So I do like to have those, those, you know, the, the household names, even though they may not be, um, you know, the number one draft picks. You know, they may not be Zion, but they may be Killian Tilly, who's been in college basketball now for four years. He's a, he's a feel-good story. He's, there's enough familiarity around him because of Gonzaga's success that you kind of want to see how those, those athletes end up, you know. And so I think, for me, the parity is great. Um, obviously, I also, you know, I, I don't necessarily change my mind because, you know what, Zion and R.J. Bear are great. Did they win the national championship? No. So it doesn't really change March Madness around having those players in it or not. Um, but there is something to be said for the, the, the value of being familiar with people if they're, again, otherworldly or journeymen that have been around it or big personalities that we love to follow. Um, and so I, and I think college basketball has those. And then, and then the fact that it's wide open, I mean, how many teams is it all all every team in the NCAA tournament going thinking they can win the national championship? I mean, that's probably not too far off. Um, now I know every March, every team that goes in has a ton of hope, but this year they're going like, Oh crap, we might actually really do this thing. That's crazy. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so for that, I think it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, and I think it, uh, I mean, from a fan's perspective, I don't know if it increases it or decreases your interest. I know it doesn't decrease it. It either keeps you really, really excited or it makes you really, really excited for March Madness and, and college basketball in general. Absolutely. And Matt, before we let you go, I got to ask you, it's been probably about a week now uh, that an ESPN did an article on Tommy Lloyd and talking about his journey to becoming a Gonzaga assistant, an international recruiter, and probably the best one in the nation. 
and just how it's rare it is to have it written into his contract that he's taking over for Mark Few. It's not a handshake. It's not a verbal. This is in his contract. Is when Mark Few calls it quits at Gonzaga, Tommy Lloyd is taking over. And I just want to get your thoughts on him as an assistant, his recruiting, and taking over for Mark Few when that day comes. Yep, he is better than advertised. Um, I mean, the article is great for him to get that, you know, kind of that recognition and acknowledgement. Um, but he is, uh, he is just a solid, solid human from, a, and from all aspects from certainly the recruiting, um, because the, those we can, you know, we can kind of see and track with the, the track record that Gonzaga has with the, the athletes they've brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the X's and O's, the technical side, the, the psychology of a player side, um, just the kind of player coach relationship with players side. He is a really, really dynamic human uh, and just a neat dude. Like, he's a good dad. He's a, just a good, uh, a good, fun person to be around um, who loves basketball. So the, the fact that, um, you know, we talked even a few years ago when I was still doing the radio broadcast for Gonzaga and got to spend, you know, a considerably more amount of time with him throughout the year because of road trips and everything, um, you know, what would be the, the perfect, situation, perfect situation for him if, to, you know, where would he go? If someone came calling to Gonzaga and said, we, we want Tommy Lloyd as a head coach, yeah. what would be as good a gig as, as being the, the, you know, part of the puppet strings behind the scene of one of the nation's greatest stories and greatest programs uh, of the past two decades uh, with the, the carrot hanging out there that he will, in fact, be the head coach. So I think that gives a ton of confidence to, you know, to him to have that, but also gives a ton of confidence to all the fans of Gonzaga basketball knowing that, um, one, he had so much influence now, but two, that he'll have the opportunity to, to take that head coaching role um, if and when Coach Few retires. And I don't think there's any rush um, rush on that particular piece either. Well, Matt, uh, great stuff. Can't wait uh, here. The best time of year, March, is here, and it's going to be really exciting. And we uh, hope everybody will check out um, Hoop Fest. If you're from the Midwest or anywhere in the country and you want to do this, it's, it's a destination. It's something to be an amazing, uh, amazing journey for you this summer. So go to SpokaneHoopFest.net, and you can uh, get all the information on that. And I think you can sign up here in just a few days. Matt, thank you so much, as always. Hopefully we're talking to you next time about a deep run in March for the Gonzaga Bulldogs and something really special to talk about, man, because it's definitely deserved. We really appreciate you coming on with this, and we'll do it again soon. Yeah, love love the consideration and being able to be invited back year after year. And if it's twice this March, I am all in. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. much. It's always an honor, my friend. Well, great to catch up with Matt Santangelo, our good friend. He has been uh, coming on the show now uh, for several years as we get to March. It's always a time for Gonzaga, especially because I feel like so many people lose track of Gonzaga during the regular season because of the conference and, you know, not a lot of games that are highlighted. Of course, uh, they've lost a conference game to BYU, another good team, a good ranked team this year. Uh, but it's, this is the time the spotlight kind of turns back to Gonzaga. People are like, oh, my God, that school again? They're they're going to be a one seed? And, and how's this all going to play out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I just love bringing on Matt Santangelo. I mean, people want to talk about Gonzaga and how they've had this long sustained track record of success but you go back to when Matt Santangelo played 1998-1999 I mean he got the party started with him there with Richie Fromm, Casey Calvary, uh, Quentin Hall I mean all those guys it was Axel Dench it was so great to see and that's what made me be a fan in the first place I was doing a, a March Madness pool with my friends back in middle school and I saw the school named Gonzaga I thought it was a cool name a lot of people out there were calling him Gonzaga because they just didn't know how to pronounce it. They've never heard of him, didn't know who they were. And uh, they go on this magical run 
to the Elite Eight and lose to Yukon and Khalid El Hamin uh, was a killer out there. He must have been like five foot eight or something, but he was out there getting in the lane. And uh, they moved on to the Final Four, and Gonzaga went home. But just that magical run and how they were able to carry it over. And uh, Matt Santangelo, he was a key part of that, getting the party started there for Gonzaga. And uh, went on to their radio network, and now he's with Spokane Hoop Fest. And uh, he just always provides such great insight. A former player, he's tapped into that, uh, not only to that city, uh, to that program, and to Mark View and all the players. It's a family. They really welcome in all the former players uh, to practices and to games and and uh, to, to talk to the current players there. And so it really is a family. It's great to see, and I just love having Matt on. Yeah, it was great stuff. I'm, I have high hopes for Gonzaga this uh, March for, for sure. And I'll tell you what, we have high hopes for uh, you guys and you listeners to continue to support us, continue to follow everything we're doing. Our website is gasnsports.com. Yes, the Elite Sports Podcast, a part of uh, the Great American Sports Network. So all of our articles, all of our shows, everything we do, uh, our, our films, we have made uh, uh, some documentary films that are uh, available to check out there at gasnsports.com. So always appreciate that. Hit the subscribe button there on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, uh, Google Play, um, any, cha- any way you choose to take in the show, we, we always appreciate you hitting that subscribe button and leaving uh, some feedback for us. Um, this is going to be our main flagship podcast from, from here on out, guys. We've been uh, kind of spread ourselves thin, and during the football season, we kind of split it up between the NFL and college football. Now, the Elite Sports Podcast, you hear it right here. This is the flagship podcast of uh, GAS and Sports, so we're going to keep this rolling on into um, the next uh, few years, man. We're excited to do it uh, weekly. We're going to come out uh, every week on Thursday, and we're excited to bring this show to you uh, each and every time. So thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be continuing to look at some March Madness topics next week, and you never know who we're going to dig up, what's going to happen, who's going to be joining us. But on this show, you're always going to hear interviews, expert analysis from the best in the biz. Noah Groninger and Clint Schweitzer, thank you so much for joining us.